Welcome to the Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes, 45 for subscribers of News of the Day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Our top story, I was absolutely sickened, personally sickened, to discover that Garland's case was dismissed. Well, I only discovered it because you texted it to me. What What did you make of that out of nowhere? They, it wasn't even when they were scheduled to go back to court. That wasn't until the middle of November. I was a little bit surprised. I kind of looked around thinking maybe this was some offshoot because they always have these offshoots. They try to confuse the situation. But it is the case that we had been talking about. And I think Raffensperger was probably probably had a hand in it. Why do you say that? Just because that would make sense? The article mentioned him and they they talked about his efforts and, and they they cited him. So Either he was involved or his influence was involved, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think B, one of our patrons, immediately messaged me. Maybe somebody got to the judge. I don't know. Maybe everybody got to the judge. So what what was weird about it, and I, I immediately texted Garland, and he said that they will appeal on several levels. He was on One American News last night, and he... He didn't seem as cheerful as he normally is, but he certainly didn't seem totally defeated. He was wearing his voter GA hat. I thought that was a good sign. But one thing that I noticed from the AJC article, which just I I, I thought the AJC reporting had to be wrong on several levels, particularly when it said that the reason the case was dismissed was standing that Garland and his group did not have standing, which is what I had originally thought. I was like, wow, that's pretty unusual to be able to get standing for something the government does just as a citizen who's injured by the actions as one of many citizens instead of being specifically injured. And that is supposedly what, that's what Garland said on OANN last night, he said he was shocked to find the judge cite peculiar injury or lack thereof as the reasons for dismissal. And as Garland said, he could have made that judgment six months ago. And it really wasted a lot of time and effort not to do that. So that in itself is peculiar. And then there was a, what I didn't like, especially about the AJC announcement, the headlines was that the judge cited no evidence of fraud that the ballots had been inspected and reinspected and there was no evidence of fraud. Now, there's only two ways you can look at that. One is if he was talking about the audits, there was there was there are four affidavits of people who saw evidence of fraud and swore to that to the court. People whose names are there, who we know, swearing to the court. So that in itself is the first step. Uh, is an indication of evidence of fraud so that you want a public or at least uh, and want to resolve the issue publicly of whether or not the facts that they asserted were true, that there were folds, no folds in the ballots, some of the ballots that the ballots appear to be printed pre-filled out, like toner ink was in the circle instead of a pencil or a pen, and then that it was on the wrong paper stock. So either they're saying that there was no evidence of fraud in the first case, which we know people said there was, or they're saying that they inspected the ballots since then. But that would be an actionable violation of protocol and law because those ballots are under seal. You're not allowed to. So if they said they went in there and they looked at them and then they're just assuring us that everything's fine, that's laughable. And I think that was Garland's first reaction too. 
Yeah, it seems to be a lack of transparency as opposed to transparency. And we do know that Garland did uncover that there were discrepancies in the vote count. That might not be considered evidence of fraud because Raffensperger came in, fired some people and said, we took care of the problem. Everything's okay now. But that would seem to be something that would make you want to look at the rest of the ballots. Are you talking about the fire? There were two sets of firings, one a long time ago and then one recently pertaining to this election coming up. There was an article in yesterday's Wall Street Journal, which I was surprised um, at the timing. It seemed you know, to be coincidental with the judge's ruling. Two employees were fired recently for allegedly shredding a number of paper voter registration applications received within the last two weeks. So fellow workers reported it on Friday and the perpetrators were fired on the same day. And all the state is reporting that 300 applications were destroyed. And these are pertinent to the early voting that will begin in local elections on Tuesday. So this is what really annoyed me is that Raffensperger came out in that article was cited as saying that he wanted the Justice Department to investigate because of this. Get this. Get get ready. Buckle up. He said, after 20 years of documented failure in Fulton County elections, Georgians are tired of waiting to see what the next embarrassing revelation will be. Democrats should admit he has a point, the Wall Street Journal says, but don't hold your breath. This is outrageous that he should say he should get all fired up and pissed off that Fulton County's elections are no good and there needs to be action, yada, 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 at the same time that he was working against and apparently successfully against Garland and at the same time said that the November 2020 election were was either the most secure in Georgia history or something to that effect. Really shocking and bad stuff. And there's just one more thing I'll say on that topic is that CNN reported yesterday that Democrats in Congress are scrutinizing a Pennsylvania congressman's efforts to, quote, help Trump overturn the 2020 election. Of course, that's not what he was doing. It's Rep. Representative Scott Perry, who is from Pennsylvania, and he was he was doing what we wanted Georgia to do and what Arizona was in the process of doing in in. Washington in January, he was saying these electoral votes need to get more scrutiny before they're certified. And he's just being raked over the coals. He's being investigated. And this is really what tyranny looks like. This is this is how they do it. When you read the historical accounts of communist takeovers, Nazi takeovers, that's what they do. They take the good guys and they run them out of town on a rail or put them in jail or worse. Yeah. And Brad Raffensperger is a fraud. You can't find any information about his life before he moved to Georgia. He was born. I don't know if he was born, but I know he grew up in Canada. He went to a university up in Canada, the University of Ontario, I believe it was called. And it's a school that has some history of being infiltrated by Chinese spies. And he lived apparently in Virginia, right near Langley, near the CIA. That could mean absolutely nothing. There's just very little you can find out about, about Brad Raffensperger. He is not a Georgia boy as they present him to be. He is a fraud, and there's something up with him. One last point on what's happening in, in D.C. with uh, Scott Perry is 
you know, he is really being persecuted here. He is he is being demonized. And all he was doing was defending the Constitution. And this is when I really turned around on the death penalty and just said no more death penalty, because even though I don't think it's morally wrong, treason is always something that will get the death penalty. And in in the age of tyranny, defending the Constitution will be considered treason. Like who is in control? So. That's just something to watch out for. Um, I hope no harm comes to that guy. And I would like to say going on to lighter subjects, but uh, it depends. Give us an update on one of your ongoing stories. Been following this Kyrie Irving story. Kyrie took to Instagram Live last night to give his side of the story. He hasn't really spoken out much. He's let the media talk and make their conclusions about him. And he said a few things that I found interesting. It's about a 20-minute video. It's linked in the show notes, or I will link it in the show notes if you want to check it out. He said that he didn't expect any of this, that they were promised in the offseason that they'd have an exemption, and he thought he was just going to be able to play ball. So it sounds like it was just sprung on them, kind of a bait and switch. Which I thought that was interesting that he felt that he wasn't going to have to worry about this. And he felt like he didn't have time to really think it through and talk about it with his family the way that it it all went down. And he said that he supports people's choice either way, says he's not anti-vax, but no one should force anybody to do anything with their body. And he says that the people that are criticizing him are just reading off of scripts, which I completely agree with that. And he said, don't let anybody tell you that he's retiring, which I'm interested in what that means. If he is going to be back in the NBA because of some loophole or because maybe he ends up getting the vaccine, I kind of doubt that. Or if he's going to play elsewhere. And he also made the point, do you think I want to lose that much money? Do you think I don't want to play basketball? That's my dream. Of course I want to play, but he's standing up for what he thinks is right for himself personally and for his body. And then he just says he's all about love. And Of course, today, Stephen A. Smith led the firing squad on ESPN, where he just completely demonized him. Everybody except Jay Williams, who played basketball at Duke also. Jay Williams actually stuck up for Kyrie. But when you look at the comments and you look at the likes and dislikes, this is not everybody hating on Kyrie. It's pretty even. There's people who are on both sides. A lot of people who are vaccinated supporting Kyrie. Jay Williams is vaccinated supporting Kyrie. This is not a one-sided debate like the media is trying to present it as. And I've done this before, but I want to do it again real quick because I found some more charitable donations that Kyrie has made. This is the person that the media is demonizing right now. In 2020, Kyrie donated a house to George Floyd's family. He bought them a house. Also in 2020, he donated $323,000 and 250,000 meals to people who have been impacted by COVID-19. In 2018, he funded the renovation of a gym, locker room, weight room, and lounge at his alma mater, his high school. In 2020, at his high school, he also mentors players. Can you imagine you're a high school player, you're getting mentored by one of the, the best point guard in the NBA? That's pretty awesome. In 2020, he pledged $1.5 million to WNBA players who were foregoing the season due to coronavirus or social justice concerns. He paid for the scholarships of nine kids at Lincoln University, or he paid, he paid their tuition, paid off all their debt, and he donated pallets of food, mask to, food and masks to Standing Rock, where we first heard about AOC, so he was donating to that cause. And in 2021, he built a solar water center in Pakistan with a project through his his family foundation. This is a guy being smeared by progressives. The guy who bought a home for George Floyd's family is being smeared by progressives right now. Well, he's on the wrong side of this one issue, and that's all there is to it. But I agree with his assessment that or your assessment that there were some maybe I don't know if you guys assessed it was funny business. But for me, those mandates coming down 
on the verge of like the school year starting and stuff like that, I have seen some tricky, tricky stuff where after you've already like in our case signed a document uh, committing us to tuition that the mandate came out after that, after the public schools already started. So you couldn't move over. I mean, we ended up getting an exemption. So that was great, but there definitely seemed to be some timing issues that under normal circumstances could blow up a contract could be considered bad faith, but these normal circumstances aren't here. And maybe they will start coming down as the lawsuits get pushed. But after this thing with Garland, I have just, I, I always had very little faith Then I met Garland and his perseverance and his professionalism really got me to think, you know what, there, maybe if you just persevere, you will get justice. Boy, this is this is bad. Although Bill Cosby did get his appeal. He was in jail for a long time, but he did get his appeal. Lori Lachlan, I just read, is coming back. Hallmark Channel is trying to distance her, but I believe that the show that she's on is contracted with Hallmark, will be on Hallmark. So, so maybe eventually some justice will be served, but not until a lot of people get tricked into doing something that they don't want to do. Yeah. I find the Bill Cosby thing kind of humorous because one of the first things he does when he gets out of prison is he comes out and he says that R. Kelly got railroaded in his case. Uh, not really. He needs a new PR guy. Bill Cosby does. I also noticed that Joe Rogan, I don't know if you saw this, was he had Sanjay Gupta on his podcast yesterday. I have not watched the whole thing. It's three hours long. I have gone through a little bit of it, but I'm reacting to what I saw along with the media how they reacted in the, in the aftermath of it it's a three-hour show and what that does is it gives people on all sides of the issue clips they can cherry pick from and then frame in their media to their audience as though they were victorious as though they slammed the other guy and that is definitely happening especially on cnn that is really really twisting the reality of what went down the thing that I found most interesting at the beginning, and this is how Joe Rogan phrased it, it seems as though Sanjay Gupta reached out to Joe Rogan, that his team attempted to get Sanjay on to Rogan's podcast as opposed to the other way around. And I think that that is important because that, to me, says propaganda operation, spreading a message, trying to reach Rogan's audience. And to me, it gives more credibility to Rogan if Sanjay Gupta is trying to get himself on there than if rogan we're trying to get gupta to go. I, I don't know i just found that interesting and gupta's new book by the way is called world war c it's all about the pandemic world war c and gupta was not authentic at all we seen pretty go ahead i can't hear you I lost your audio <laughs> sorry the dog was barking um <laughs> so Gupta's book is World War C. World War C, yeah. Gosh, I mean, I wonder if he's going <laughs> to pick it apart and do a page-by-page -page analysis of report from Iron Mountain looking for a substitute for war. Like, I should actually do that. I should do a, a special a report like that. Because to me, the... <laughs> The elements of world war are present in this from top to bottom, including that the war was ginned up from the beginning, prolonged, used intentionally for cultural change, social change, economic change. And actually, the last big story of the Free 30, I'm going to get into yet another big element of World War C that reflects all the previous big wars. But wow, that's really a showstopper for me. Sorry. Sorry for stopping the show. <laughs> he has become a propaganda mouthpiece. Sanjay Gupta has. He, he's based in Atlanta. I think Grady Hospital was where he, the primary place that he works. But that guy is 
rolled out every single night to just be this authoritative, almost Fauci-like voice for pro-vaccine causes. And he did not seem authentic to me. He seemed kind of belittling a little bit. Rogan did seem authentic. And Rogan actually was trying to, he seemed to be, from what I've seen so far, really trying to force Gupta into being specific about things and not being slippery, even though Gupta was still slippery. One of the things that he challenged him on was the ivermectin thing, because Rogan took ivermectin. He was prescribed it. Yet CNN, every time they talked about it, Joe Rogan taking horse dewormer ivermectin. And they just they really took really portrayed him in a false way. And Rogan said, are you not? Does it are you OK with your network doing that with your network saying I was taking horse dewormer when I had a prescription? And, and Gupta really was hard to pin down on an answer. It was really hard to get him to actually say that he was he, he was kind of like eventually like maybe I should have said something, but I didn't. But then just a few hours later, he goes on Don Lemon's show and, and he just very pretentiously is like, yeah, well, he it is technically a horse dewormer. Him and him and Don Lemon are saying it's unbelievable. I did hear his response to that. They they were playing that clip like crazy on Fox, which is weird. And the so the clip was him saying, well, if you had a prescription from a doctor and it was a human pill, and it was like a human pill, yikes. <laughs> it's a human pill. But if it was a human pill, then it wasn't a horse dewormer. I did hear him say that, but it seemed like I didn't I wasn't even sure Rogan said that he took it. More that he just had it in his possession and he felt that they were wrong in how they reported it. But yeah, I, I think that is interesting. And he, I mean, I would have to see it like myself to see if I found Rogan authentic. I'm sure he's mostly authentic, but he didn't pin down Edward Snowden the way I wanted him to. So he kind of lost no. me there forever. No, he didn't. So the aftermath of this for CNN was, here's the headline basically is, uh, watch Sanjay Gupta try and get Joe Rogan to get vaccinated, see what happened. And it's just a, an attempt to make, make Rogan look stupid and make Sanjay Gupta look like he was doing his best. And Gupta tweeted out later. I tried my best guys. If I could have gotten through to just one person on his audience and I've done my job. I'm surprised he wasn't successful because Neil deGrasse Tyson got Rogan on board with the moon landing. Right. Oh, did he? I didn't know I that. I think so. Yeah, I think that was the big, like, flipping back of Rogan. Like, I was wrong about the moon landing, guys. So maybe maybe he's backpedaled that. I don't know. But I read or even heard him say that after talking to Neil deGrasse Tyson, he kind of thinking, I got I got to listen to that one. That one I haven't heard, but I, I got to listen to that one. So I wanted to talk about a story that I heard out here, but it was actually, this was also on Fox, so I guess it is national news. A councilman, Ridley Thomas, Mark Ridley Thomas, was indicted on federal corruption charges, 20 federal corruption charges, for promising things to the former dean of the USC School of Social Work. What he promised was to... um put money, steer money towards the university in return for them admitting his son, Sebastian, into graduate school with a full tuition scholarship and a paid professorship. So the, he was indicted and so was the dean. And a couple of things I wanted to point out about this. One is I've never thought that the person who receives a bribe or whatever, the, the person who is not in the public trust, who has tax dollars to that they're using for their own personal benefit, that's a crime. But people in the private sector, universities or whatever, who 
have grown up in this world where you can't do business without getting licenses, permissions, even even if it's um, tax-free bonds, all these things that as a libertarian, I object to. But if you can't compete at all in that space without having government agents on your side, those government agents can very easily, and I would say it's probably the norm, not the exception. I'll give you two more examples. Just use their positions to get what they want from you, yet both sides of that transaction do face penalties. And I'm not super fired up about that. But this, there were two other cases that it reminded me of. One is there was another LA councilman who got uh, indicted on many, many charges for looking for personal favors in in return just for like zoning and licensing push through just the way we heard this Biden Hunter Biden scandal where his uncle wanted Joe to help push through licenses in China. He said, there's just too much red tape. It takes too long. People are doing that here all the time. Anywhere there are licenses, there's the opportunity for corruption. It also reminded me of that the Bobolinsky, Bobolinsky documents, one of which had a big long list, maybe 15 public servants who have so-called public servants who have access to infrastructure money, who they were promising Joe Biden would tap to allow the Chinese joint venture to engage in infrastructure projects here. So it seems to me that this is the norm, not the exception. And this is in contrast to Operation Varsity Blues, where people, uh, Lori Lachlan in particular, who we talked about earlier, she took her own money, $500,000. They were going to give a million or more to USC directly. Their daughter, as you pointed out so brilliantly, was a YouTube star. She would have gotten into USC anyway. And they gave that they gave the money instead to a scam artist who put it in a fake scholarship fund. And she was threatened with many years in jail, took the hit, went to jail for that. But there was never any crime at all anyway, even if you bribed USC officials to get your kid into school with your own money. That's on USC and their relationship with their officials. It is not a crime. This is a crime. I mean, they'll, they call it a crime. They call it like wire fraud. But even the crime that they, char- they charge them with is in itself controversial as not being a crime. So I, I just feel like this is where the problems are. And, and the FBI spent so much more time and effort on those other people. And I bet this guy, I would, would be surprised if he spends a day in jail for this. Yeah, I'm sure he probably won't because he doesn't advocate Christianity and he is not someone who is uh, super famous that can easily be demonized. That's all you got to be. You got to be super famous and not go along with what progressive media propagates. And if you do anything, if you make one misstep or anything that can be framed as a misstep, they will throw you under the bus like Lori Lachlan. I agree. You've seen these commercials, these Boston Dynamics commercials where they had not commercials, these videos where they are doing backflips and agility. So exercises like super strong, terrifying robots. Well, these robots are going commercial now. That so these these things are funded by DARPA, they're funded by Google, they're funded by the biggest corporations on the planet who have been trying to get Boston Dynamics to go public with it. And what they're gonna be doing now is over the next few years, they're gonna be rolling out industry specific robots. And they're starting off with this one. This first one is called Spot. Spot the robot. He looks, you know, a little terrifying when you look at him. And here is what 
this robot's going to be doing it. It's an inspection and warehouse robot. Those are the types of industries that they're going for. And they're going to be going around in uh, warehouses collecting data. The chief engineer says that the next big industry for spot is this market that we're calling industrial sensing and dynamic sensing, where the robots walk around places like manufacturing plants, chemical plants, utilities, installations, and they're using the robot to collect data of what's happening in these facilities automatically. And once you start to get these repeatable, high-quality data going, you can start to understand these facilities and the efficiencies. And Spot has so far been used at construction construction sites, oil rigs, nuclear plants, to check vital signs of COVID-19 patients in hospitals, and even to remind people to maintain social distance. So there's Holy these terrifying God. robots coming. <laughs> Why does that not surprise me? So we do have one more big story of the free 30, where I think I've cracked a little bit of a code on the supply chain shortage. So I'll tell you about that. But before I tell you about that, I want to tell you what we're going to talk about in the DNBXR. Binkley's going to tell us uh, <laughs> a little bit about William Shatter going into space. He asks, who cares? And I want to tell you how Facebook is responding to the whistleblower scandal that hit Congress last week. But before we do any of that, I'd like to offer a big thank you to the sponsor of today's show and make sure that people who are interested in taking advantage of the offer, True Hemp Science, uh, they are the purveyors of the finest, I would say, CBD products available. And you can get their oils, their cookies, their gummies, their brownies. They have such an amazing variety of the highest quality CBD products and also really fantastic skincare products. Check out their website. Call if you don't know exactly what's what and what you want and, and what you think you might benefit from. And you can call Chris, set up an appointment. But if you do know what you want, or if you want to just try some of the skincare products, if you order $43.99 worth of stuff you can get from True Hemp Science, you can get 40% off a 10 milliliter bottle of number 23 full spectrum CBD MCT oil. And uh, you can, that'll probably kick in automatically if you go to truehempscience.com slash prop report. If not, use the code prop 23. That special will be ongoing till the end of October. And I also want to encourage you not only to support our sponsors, but also to support us, to support our show. You might be watching this on Rockfin because this is the DNBXR live on Rockfin. You can become a subscriber and watch this every Thursday on rockfin.com slash propaganda report. But our, we also have a fantastic uh, offering on Patreon, patreon.com slash propaganda report, where you can get this extended DNB. It's 45, it's really 50 minutes every single day, Monday through Thursday. You get an RSS feed for your favorite podcasting platform. There's no commercials. You also get patron-only Q&A. You get patron St. Zoom parties if you're in that tier. We do First Friday DPPs for the party tiers. That's Disappearing Patron Party. So there's a lot, lot to offer at Patreon. And mostly, you will be supporting the show. We put out a lot of free content and that's how we do it. So thank you very much for all of your support. Without further ado, on to the last big story of the Free 30. So Biden announced yesterday or today 
a deal that they made, an arrangement they made with the Port of Los Angeles to do 24-7 working. So the port's going to be open 24 hours day, a day, seven days a week to try to get some of these backed up ships through. But I've been following this story and I've seen over and over again, they're talking about its labor supply shortages, its truckers not being able to put, there's just not enough truckers. It's all about labor supply shortages, a few other things, but really that which you're supposed to think is COVID related, but that doesn't even really make sense. Maybe it's stimulus check related, but that stuff's so winding off. I really don't understand it. It doesn't seem like it was a tremendous amount of increase year over year. It was because last year was a dip, but from two years ago, it was really only 12% a year, which they've experienced much greater growth than that. Um, and, you know, since I've been looking at the stats, which is the last 20 years from 2000 to 2004, and keeping it open 24-7 doesn't solve that problem at all. The problem isn't that there's a bottleneck on the docks. There aren't enough docks for the ships to go up against. Maybe now, but that hasn't been the problem. The only reason you need to leave it open 24-7 is if you're either going to have guys working 24-7, in which case, where is that extra labor going to come from? Is it just because you can give the union guys double time? It was not crystal clear, but the rhetoric was crystal clear. He Biden kept saying over and over again, now if the or it was played on the clip over and over again, if the private sector can't handle it, we're going to have to deal with it. So uh, there's a couple of things that are that 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 expression seems to be pregnant with. Either they're going to do what they're doing with school buses and COVID testing and healthcare and bring in the National Guard or something to work these things. He's also pushing his infrastructure. And for me, if he's saying he's going to solve that problem through an infrastructure plan, it may be a repeat of how they solved the dock worker problem many, many years ago when the dock workers used to be the U.S. ports were the throughput of most of the shipping in the world went through U.S. ports. It was almost like that was the staging area, the clearinghouse. There were stevedores, the dock workers, and the unions kept bidding the price up, bidding the price up. And then finally, and I remember this because my grandfather used to say, they're going to bid themselves right out of a job. And they did bid themselves out of a job. And what happened? But possibly the most efficiency increasing economic event of the 20th century, moving from dock workers to cargo units, like those cargo carrier things that come right off container ships, that come off the container right onto the truck or the train. That completely eliminated the labor and greatly increased in efficiency. And I've always suspected that the labor union sold those guys out made them bid themselves out of a job just to automate. Maybe the auto industry did the same thing. But if Biden's talking about infrastructure solving this problem, he's probably talking about things that will eliminate the need for the workers. So they keep talking about that's a labor shortage. They never talk about anything else. So if you have a labor shortage, what do you do? You uh, you can subsidize the technology, you can subsidize capital investment, but you can eliminate the labor. And the last thing I will say is the reason that this made me think, and it's been making me think for a while, the nothing on the shelves, the labor shortages, everything like that, that is such, such a characteristic of war. This is what makes war feel real. And I'm reminded of Jacques Ellul mentioning at the end of the book, Technological Society, he approaches a propaganda, a couple of propaganda 
methods. One of them was the obsessional method. And he said the world wars weren't fought on U.S. soil. So they had to make it feel like it was through ration cards and stuff like that, as if that stuff was all trumped up here. And and also just have nonstop media coverage, just jam it in your face. Every single story started with the war. And that is what we're having. And I think these scarcity events and labor shortages are are a, are a feature of making this into World War Three. It it feels like that. And maybe they'll have one of these Spock robots, not Spock, Spot robots on the docks because that seems to be something that they, they might be able to contribute with. I think that wraps it up for today's show. Yeah, I've got a couple of little announcements. I'm going to do a I'm, I'm assuming I can get a place. I'm not welcome inside bars, but there are places where they're outside. November 7th in Pasadena. I want to do that. Go to the go to the meetup tab. It's on the drop down menu and just comment in there. If you can make it November 7th, it's a Sunday night. That is daylight savings time. So you get an extra hour. I know people don't like it on a Sunday, but there's an extra hour in there. Anyway, so I need a little bit of a head count so I can see if we can find a place to be. And also right after the show, I'm jumping on a plane to Hawaii. Now talk about a place they don't want a person like me to be at. (laughs) I can't go anywhere. So I've packed all these little bottles of my mixers, like a little dry Curacao, a little Luxardo. I'm going to take my whole little bar with me to the hotel because I think I'm still allowed on the beach. Their drinks are too expensive anyway, but I'm going to jump right on a plane. So I'm off next week. Cam is going to fill in for me. Binkley will, of course, do all the heavy lifting. Thank you very much for that. And now on to the XR. And you guys can find your drive time news blast every week afternoon at thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform or the Propaganda Report podcast feed. If you want access to that extra content Monica was telling you about, go to patreon.com slash propaganda report or rockfin.com slash propaganda report. We will continue the DMB XR at rockfin.com slash propaganda report for those who are Rockfin subscribers. Thank you, everybody, for watching. We will talk to you next week or in the DMB XR. <laughs>